0: The ability to God, it is so good to gather uh, here today as your people. Uh, thank you for the uh, the ability to do that. Thank you for this facility uh, where we can spread out a bit and um, uh, and really uh, just enjoy gathering, encouraging one another in the gospel, singing together uh, words that reflect the great truths of the gospel. Uh, and thank you that we can come under your word now and hear you speak. Uh, we pray that you would soften our hearts. We pray that the familiarity of this passage to many of us um, wouldn't be a, a hindrance in really hearing um, the treasures of your word today and to see the beauty of Jesus even more afresh. So we pray that um, yeah, you would accomplish your work through your word in our hearts and lives today for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Jim.
1: Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets in, who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salt again? that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Uh, Great to see you all uh, this morning. And uh, it's excellent to gather again, isn't it? Uh, Such a blessing to be here and to share in the Lord's Supper soon. Really looking forward to that. Um, but you might, have, you might have seen this if you're on social media. You might have seen in recent years a, a hashtag that gets used every now and again. do you know what a hashtag is, don't worry about it. A uh, hashtag is the, the hashtag blessed. Blessed. It's a little thing that you tag at the end of something that you share with everyone. Uh, people share it on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and they mark, something, they mark what they share with the hashtag blessed. It's a way of saying, this is a really good thing that I'm really thankful for. Something like that. Oh, before we get that, can I, we'll go back. I'm not there yet. Uh, that's my that's my next uh, next point. So there's a few examples that I looked up on Twitter, uh, celebrating one year of being a homeowner. Hashtag blessed. Um, just bought a new bought a new car. Hashtag blessed. Uh, of course, the, and, and there's a whole lot of uh, these kind of things that people are sharing. Some people make fun of it. One comedian had this tweet that he put out just caught a piece of bacon falling out of my sandwich right before it hit the ground. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) It's very interesting, isn't it? What we think the blessed life is. What we think the blessed life is. Uh, Blessed is the one who has a steady income, uh, who has uh, a happy family who never get into any fights. Uh, Blessed is the one who has a completely healthy body. Blessed is the one who takes control of their own destiny. Blessed are the satisfied, those who are filled with stuff. You could go on, right? So uh, this is where I had a bit of fun, though, putting together some fake tweets to try and help us to get a bit of a sense of just how strange this part of the Bible is that we're looking at today, just how bizarre it is when, when we look at it through the lens of our worlds. So here we go. First one. Uh, 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 these are fake. I just made them up. But imagine someone sharing this. I am a spiritual failure with nothing to offer, full of pride and insecurity and selfishness and sin. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Next one. I'm crushed by the suffering and injustice and sin and death in this world and in my own life too. Oh God, when will it stop? Hashtag blessed. Next one. Today I had someone spit in my face because they found out I'm a follower of Jesus. Hashtag blessed. Hmm, that's getting a bit more uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, Next one. Uh, And this is sort of flowing out of uh, a reality in Victoria at the moment. Today I was put in prison for encouraging a friend to follow the Bible's teaching on gender and sexuality. Hashtag blessed. Okay, well, it seems ridiculous, right? Upside down. Not at all how we naturally think about life. Uh, what Jesus is doing here. But what he's doing here is he is precisely overturning our natural view of the world and even of ourselves and where true blessing can be found. And uh, this, uh, friends, if we hear it and let it sink into ourselves, is a transforming part of God's word to us. So I might just pray for us now as we dive in. Can I do that? Uh, God, we do pray. Lord, we pray for humble hearts right now that as we hear your word to us, we might truly receive it and live in its light. And we, we know that that's something we can't do in ourselves, so we ask for your spirit, please, to right now be powerfully at work in each of our hearts. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mounts. Uh, It's the first major block of teaching in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew structures his Gospel around five big blocks of teaching that Jesus gives, and this is the first one of it. Uh, And this one has become the most famous of them, Uh, possibly actually the most famous and well-known part of the whole Bible uh, in some places. Uh, So we're going to be reflecting on this teaching of Jesus, this Sermon on the Mount, all the way up to Easter, this term. So really looking forward to that. I just thought it would be helpful to have a very quick orientation to that. Uh, it's one of the most written about and talked about parts of the Bible, and it's also one in which lots of people have had different ideas about, different kind of ways of thinking about it, interpreting it. There's basically, well, it's pretty complicated, but there's two kind of extremes that you might encounter uh, as, you, uh, as you, um, people talk about the Sermon on the Mount. One, on, the one hand, uh, on the one hand, there's one extreme... That says the sermon. It's basically setting out entry requirements to get into God's kingdom, um, to get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, strive to live like that, that I, like this, that what I'm saying. Strive to live like that, and if you do well enough, you'll get into my kingdom. Uh, the problem with reading it that way is that it's completely inconsistent with the rest of Matthew, and the rest of the Bible. Uh, that we are saved not by works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Uh, it also doesn't actually fit with the sermon itself, and especially these Beatitudes that we're looking at today, which I hope will come out. Okay, so but that's one kind of extreme. On the other extreme, it's uh, probably a, a reaction to that, um, a Protestant reaction to that, led by Martin Luther, a great reformer and um, Uh, Yeah, but uh, he kind of uh, basically saw this sermon as Jesus setting out kind of impossible demands here and and doing that in order to show us our sin and our need for grace. So the purpose of the sermon is to shine a light on our failures, uh, to lead us to despair of ourselves and to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus' forgiveness and grace. And I think that's probably better than the the first extreme. Uh, It represents a real dynamic in the Christian life. And, and God willing, by God's grace, that will actually be part of the impact of the sermon in our lives and in our hearts. What it does for us, anyone who with some honesty hears Jesus teaching in these chapters is going to feel exposed by just how far we are from it. Um, and in that moment, uh, Jesus calls us to the foot of the cross to see again his amazing grace and forgiveness uh, so that's a, kind of the other extreme. But I think there's, there's more we should say here that does, I think, a fuller justice to Jesus' sermon. Uh, and I want to suggest that an, another way for us to approach the sermon is through the lens of wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, Jesus, You might remember that at the very end of the sermon, Jesus finishes the sermon by saying, the one who hears his words and put, puts them into practice is like Aaron, the wise man who built his house on the rock. Uh, building his life on a solid foundation. Uh, If you were here a few years ago, we looked at the book of Proverbs and you might remember the kind of big image that sort of we used in that series of wisdom in the Bible being like describing the grain of the universe, the grain of God's creation, the way things really are. So here's a a piece of wood uh, and you, um, you, you try to work along the grain, with the grain. Um, of the wood, as much as you can. The way things really are, the way God has made them to be. And and in the Bible, the the wise person, the wise one, is the one who recognises that grain and and, and lives in line with it. Doesn't try to cut against the grain. So, um, uh, I think that's a helpful orientation for us as we head into this this sermon. It's neither um, entry requirements, uh, nor is it... A kind of impossible demands uh, this is the wisdom of god's gracious king for life in his kingdom uh, remember what's come before in matthew it's all about jesus announcing and setting up his kingdom of heaven uh, the moment of fulfillment is here it's here finally um, uh, the moment of all god's purposes coming to their fruition and in that context jesus goes up on the mountainside sits down and gathers his disciples and starts to teach them about the grain of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Here is what is really real. Here is what is more real than what you can see, more real than what you can feel, more real than the kingdoms of this world. And the king here gives his gracious wisdom for life in his kingdom. He's inviting us to see and live in the world this way. He's calling us to have our hearts shaped by him so that we start more and more to love what he loves and to hate what he hates, to have our characters formed by our king as we live under his good and gracious rule. So all of that said, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' great sermon. And it starts, doesn't it, with these blessed sayings, these beatitudes. What does a blessed life look like? What sometimes gets called human flourishing, um, what does the good life look like in Jesus' Jesus's kingdom? I just noticed a couple of things here before we sort of um, go through the uh, the beatitudes themselves. Notice a couple of things all the way through, all the way through, uh, except the very beginning and end, but I'll come to that. But all the way through, this blessed life is anchored in a future reality. This is, is anchored in a fu- in the future. Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth those hungry for righteousness, will be filled. So Jesus points forward to this future reality when his kingdom will be all in all, and he says that reality is so certain. It's so certain, so real, and so bright and glorious that it far outweighs any current hardship that we experience. So it's grounded in the future. But notice, too, that Jesus doesn't say blessed will be. He doesn't say blessed will be. The reality is grounded in the future, this blessing, but it's a blessing that God's people experience now. Blessed are these people now. Uh, The future hope is so certain and real that it sort of overflows into today, into right now. Okay, one more thing to introduce things. Uh, It's also helpful to keep in mind, Jesus is not talking about eight different people here. Um, some who are poor in spirit, others who mourn, uh, others who are meek, and go on. Uh, you notice the first and the last of these, if you have your Bibles open you can kind of see them there, the first and the last of these have the same ending to them. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of a bracket around these Beatitudes. It's a way of saying they all fit together. It's like um, Jesus is holding up this diamond in front of us and rotating it and showing it us all its different facets. <laughs> He's showing us all different aspects of the one thing, the one, what Jesus is giving us here is this kind of general picture of the blessed person in his kingdom, the wise one who is living along the grain of reality, living in line with that. And who are they? Well, here's where it gets really uh, strange. <laughs> Who are these blessed ones? Well, they are the poor in spirit. Uh, Jesus isn't talking about financial poverty here. Um, uh, The opposite of this, uh, he's talking about spiritual poverty. And the opposite of that is the person who comes to God thinking that they've got something to offer out of themselves. The person who thinks, I'm basically a good person and on that basis God is sure to accept me. Uh, It's the self-made person a self-reliant person, the spiritually poor person comes to God. They know that they can only come to God with empty hands, with empty hands. They come before him actually as a beggar, a beggar pleading for mercy, not a self-made person who's expecting their due from a God who owes them. And Jesus says that in the kingdom of heaven, it's that kind of person who really is blessed. And why? Well, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's this kind of strange paradox going on here. This wonderful paradox. The only people who are fit for the kingdom of heaven are those who know that they're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Um, Because this is a kingdom of grace and mercy, not a kingdom of merit. And might. And friends, if this is your spiritual disposition, if this is the posture of your heart towards God, that you are a beggar who deserves nothing, and that you only ever are a receiver of his grace before him, then Jesus says, You are blessed. Well, um, that first blessing here, it kind of, in a way, it sets the scene for the rest of what Jesus goes on to say. Uh, in, in a way, if we can hear that one proper, properly, a lot of the others kind of flow out from it. What are the, what, what's the characteristics of these spiritual beggars? Well, they are those, in verse 4, who mourn. Who mourn. Uh, they mourn over the sin in their own hearts that has caused their poverty. Um, They they know that the reason that they um, are spiritually bankrupt (laughs) is because of their own sin, but they also mourn for the sin and brokenness of the world that leads to the disconnection and uh, destruction and death that we see all around us. And Jesus says those mourning beggars will be comforted. Uh, there will come a day. Actually, we read, when He Himself will wipe your tears away, all of them, all of them. He'll wipe them away in a new creation. Spiritual beggars mourn. They also have a kind of. Uh, they also have a meekness about them. What animal do you think of when you hear the word meek? Meek as a mouse. Meek as a mouse. Uh, I don't think that's probably what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, Jesus is not talking about a kind of a spineless, being uh, being a pushover, like a frightened mouse who scurries away at (laughs) the first sight of trouble. That's not meekness in the Bible. In the Bible, meekness is that humility and gentleness that come uh, when you, you both see your own spiritual emptiness and at the same time you rest in God's incredible love for you. You see your own spiritual emptiness, but you rest in God's great love for you. Uh, It's a kind of self-forgetfulness, this meekness, um, because you know your identity is sure in Christ. You know that on the one hand you possess nothing in yourself, so there's no reason for arrogance. (laughs) But on the other hand, you possess everything in Christ. And that's what Jesus points us to, these meek will. Inherit the earth. Jesus' kingdom will one day overtake the earth. He will renew all things and every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess he is Lord. And those who have come to him, those who have come to him in their poverty, those who have entered his kingdom, uh, they have this new heavens and this new earth as a sure inheritance. So in the light of all that, it means that we can sit we can sit lightly to our pride, can't we? And our kind of self-assertion here and now because we know that the riches that are ours then in Christ. There's a meekness, but also a a hunger and a thirst about these people that Jesus says are blessed. A hunger and a thirst. They're, They're thirsty. But what are they thirsty for? For righteousness, uh, for the way things ought to be in their own lives and in the world around them. We're so thirsty, aren't we? We hunger and thirst. What do we naturally hunger and thirst for? Food, obviously. (laughs) But we hunger and thirst for approval. Maybe we hunger and thirst for distraction, hunger and thirst for comfort. But Jesus says the blessed in his kingdom are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is about right relationships with each other and with the world around us and with, and with God himself. God our king and these people, Jesus says, long for God's righteous and life-giving reign. They long for God's kingdom to come in their own lives and in the world and Jesus says that longing, that hunger will be filled. Will be filled. That thirst will be satisfied. It will be satisfied, well, it's satisfied now in Christ by His Spirit as a foretaste of the full satisfaction that is coming in the new heavens and new creation that He will bring about. Okay. There's heaps in, there, isn't, in here, isn't there? Uh, these, this description of the blessed one in, in Jesus' kingdom. Uh, in verse 7, you get this, uh, this kind of um, dynamic where these spiritual beggars, they know how merciful God has been to them when they didn't deserve it, and that mercy flows out to other people. It flows out to the world around them, to those who don't deserve it likewise, and it has a promise of more mercy to come. Uh, verse eight: uh, These these um, spiritual beggars they seek purity of heart. Are those who have pure hearts, a desire to live wholeheartedly for God and His ways? They have a sensitivity to their sin. Uh, in, I think, in the light of uh, in the light of the gospel and of the Scripture, they have a hope in Christ as the only completely pure one. But um, the Apostle John writes in one of his letters, he says, Everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies themselves as he is pure. This desire to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. The blessed person in verse 9 is a peacemaker. And you see how that flows out of everything that has come forward, don't you? Uh, Before it. Uh, These people know that their identity is secure in God's family and because of that, they can let go of revenge. Uh, they cannot keep a record of wrongs. Uh, they, can hold li- they can even hold lightly when other people wrong them. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, because they will be called children of God. That's who they are. Uh, the last facet of this jewel, the, the last of Jesus' descriptions of this blessed life, it turns from these inequalities to a kind of outward opposition. These spiritual beggars who mourn for sin and brokenness, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, if you live like that, you can expect opposition from the kingdoms of this world. Uh, You can expect persecution. But even then, in that, do you see what Jesus is saying? Even then, you are this blessed one. You are blessed. Uh, because of being rejected by the kingdoms of this world is a sign that you belong to the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's important to note here, though, that this, this persecution that Jesus envisages that his followers will experience, uh, it's not a persecution be- because of arrogance. Uh, it's not a persecution that comes from um, foolishness or our own judgmentalism. It's a persecution because of righteousness. Uh, The picture here is of the opposite of that other way that sometimes persecution comes. It's a a picture of a humble, grace-filled attitude that is hungry for righteousness in my own life and also in the world around me. And Jesus changes tack in verse 11. He goes from saying, blessed are they, this kind of idealized or this general picture And then he eyeballs the people sitting around him and he says, blessed are you, (laughs) blessed are you. And he says, yes, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Then in verse 12, he goes on, grin and bear it because great is your reward in heaven. No, no, he doesn't say that. Verse 12, he goes on, fight back and give as good as you got, because great is your reward in heaven. No. What does he say? Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's this utterly countercultural, upside down way of viewing the world, isn't it? that Jesus teaches. It's a life that's anchored in this eternal reality of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The kingdom Jesus has come to save us into through the cross. It's a kingdom that has a certain and glorious future that's guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection from the dead, uh, which are the first fruits of that great harvest that is to come. And friends, that future reality, that eternal reality, changes everything. It changes everything today. Jesus sees belonging to this kingdom of grace and peace, living here and now shaped by that grace, that peace, Jesus sees that as the truly blessed life. (laughs) That as the truly blessed life. And it's a life that can't help but be noticed by those who are outside of this kingdom. That's what Jesus finishes this whole section with. Basically, uh, this kind of great call to us to live out our citizenship in heaven in this kingdom, to live it out here on earth. He uses these two images of salt and light. There's heaps in here. Uh, Again, lots that's been said and could be said. But basically, uh, I think what this section is about is about being distinctive, standing out, being true to who you now are in this new kingdom, true to your citizenship. Uh, it, it's, it's unthinkable that salt would lose its saltiness, right? It loses its saltiness, it ceases to become salt. Uh, it's, unthink, it's unthinkable that you'd go to the trouble of lighting your lamp and then taking a big bowl and whacking it over the top. Who would do that? <laughs> it's unthinkable. Neither of those things make any sense. They go against the nature of things, the purpose of things, and if you're in Jesus' kingdom, you have been given a new nature, a new purpose, and Jesus is urging you here to live that out every day of your life. To, to be who you are. Do you notice that? You are the light of the world. Uh, that's just a, that's a, that is a reality. And so live it out, Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, so don't lose your saltiness. Uh, verse 16 at the end. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, uh, what do we make of all of this, friends? Uh, the, The gospel, I think, the gospel gives us just what we need to hear this word from our Lord and not to be led into despair because of that huge gap between where we are and what Jesus is saying here, but neither to kind of respond with a kind of spiritual pride that just says, right, I've got to try harder in my own strength to live this way. The gospel says, oh, of course you don't live like this. Only one person perfectly embodies all of this, the true light of the world, Jesus Christ. But by his grace, you are in him. You are in his kingdom. And he invites you to sit at his feet and to learn from him. Uh, this sermon and these Beatitudes become a beautiful, at times a confronting call uh, to all of us, to to keep lining up our lives with the grain of the universe, the grain of God's kingdom. Uh, To do that secure in Christ, confident of his forgiveness when you fail, uh, empowered not by your own strength but by his spirit. So in the light of that, I I just want to finish with two things that Jesus calls us to here. Did you notice all the way through... um, uh, there's only two times, actually, that Jesus says to his disciples to do anything through this passage. Mo- most of it is this description, this description of the blessed life. But there are two times Jesus calls us to respond, calls those listening to him to respond. Um, the first time, uh, it's that urging, that encouragement, that command of our Lord to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. So, spiritual poverty, grief over sin and brokenness, a hunger for the way things ought to be, um, conflict in your life that needs a peacemaker, persecution, false accusations, malicious gossip, according to all according to the, the logic, the wisdom of this world, all of those things are reasons to be angry and sad. Aren't they? But not according to Jesus. When they are an outworking of belonging to his kingdom, Jesus calls us to joy and gladness because belonging to his kingdom is so much better than anything else. It really is. And that is something we can rejoice in, whatever else is going on. This isn't a masochistic kind of thing. It's not rejoice in the pain itself, but rejoice in what it points to in this deeper reality of the kingdom of grace and lights and life, where all your truest and deepest desires will be fully and eternally met through Christ your Lord, when you will know God as your merciful Father and know Him fully even as you are fully known. Uh, so, friends, that's something to rejoice in, isn't it? Rejoice and be glad. So that's the first of Jesus' urging to you today, coming out of all this, to see the, the grain of the universe, of, of Jesus' kingdom, to see what's really real about who you are in him and whatever else is going on in your life to anchor your joy and gladness in that in that great reality unshakable and the second thing jesus calls us to is to let your light shine to let your light shine to live in this kingdom anchored in that kingdom to live in this world overflowing with that world and as you humbly acknowledge your poverty of spirit as you mourn and pursue righteousness, as you relate with a surprising grace and forgiveness and mercy, as you have an inner joy even in the face of opposition or persecution, well, there's no light that there's no light that's brighter than that, is there? It's a light that does it does bring opposition, but do you see what Jesus finishes this with? He also lifts our eyes to the expectation that it, p- people will also be drawn to it and be drawn to glorify God. Uh, So that is the great hope, uh, a great hope for us as we live this out in the power of God's spirit. So let me pray for us as we do that. Our God, we thank you for this wonderful uh, teaching from our Lord Jesus. Please teach us to see reality as you see it, as it really is. Please, shape our hearts so we love what you love we mourn over what you mourn over we long for what you long for and we are so secure in the reality of belonging to your kingdom uh, that even persecution opposition suffering and trial cannot ultimately take away our joy and gladness because they're not anchored in this life but in in you Father, we pray that the light of your gospel would shine out from us, from this community, and that many would see it, be drawn to it, and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And we pray that for your glory in his name. Amen.